So go find yourself, know your farmer, go find yourself a farmer in your local area that you can get your food from now so that if the supply chain collapses on you, you have a source for food. Hey y'all, put on your boots, grab your headphones, and let's get a little muddy. As we build a community rooted in the love of dirt roads, whether dust or mud. Welcome to the Dust or Mud Podcast. Hey y'all, welcome to episode nine of the Dust or Mud Podcast. We are certainly glad that you are here with us and uh, look forward to sharing a whole bunch of new insights with you. Woohoo. I know. Yeah, right. Yeah. So last week we really opened up a lot about our sheep operation. Yeah. Yeah. And made some adjustments, I think. Lots of soul searching and, and discussions and research and not just to make the podcast, but to try to figure out how to make lamb. Yeah. Yeah. It be a, um, I don't know, profitable business, I guess, that puts more good food in people's freezers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so we decided to continue to keep them pasture raised. We're not building barns. Right. Um, we're going to supplement them with, though, with some added nutrition that our pastures are not providing them. Yep. And I think we'll, we're going to get some good results. I do too. Our non-GMO or GMO-free um, feed mill has a sheep ration. Yeah. So we contacted them, and they're going to be hooking us up with a sheep ration with locally sourced, as locally as they can, locally sourced grains um, and protein additives that um, will provide the sheep with what they need. Yep. So local pasture-raised non-GMO lamb. That's right. Coming to our freezers, That's y'all. right. <laughs> and then we talked about military recruiting crisis. And <laughs> um, out of that conversation, you you made a little, I what did. was it, 12-second short? Yeah, it was really short. It was um, a short short. That, put, that you put up on YouTube. And it fairly quickly peaked over 5,000 views and really stirred up a lot of... Wow. I think I, like, seriously through the... I don't know, something in the hornet's nest. Yeah. And I, this, it was a really short clip. You guys will have to go check it out of just a portion of our conversation. And it, it, it must have been a good enough portion. I guess. <laughs> yeah. They really, people really were commenting, but it wasn't, oh, yay, that's a really great idea that you have. <laughs> that was not the reaction. No. <laughs> no, there was a lot of, a lot of folks really expressing their dissatisfaction with and the, the government overall, a lot yeah. of them. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are very uh, vehemently, it seems, dissatisfied, dissatisfied yeah. with I, what's going I, on. I went through and answered um, all the comments or replied back to all the comments to which some of some of the folks replied back, to which I replied back. There was a lot. The there, was, there was some serious, <laughs> some significant dialogue, yeah. more than I think any other of our shorts or videos for that matter yeah, for has sure. gotten. Yeah. yeah. I owe a couple of replies too. Yeah. Yeah. I just look at them and go, well, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you chime in on that one. Cause that, oh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's great to have the engagement. I it think is. It's, I think it's really cool to um, learn what people think and, mm -hmm. and what their, what their thought I can tell you are. there's a lot of really not happy 
people with some of the current situations that are going on. At least of the five and a half thousand that chose to view that short, there are definitely some that are unhappy. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And vocal. Yeah. Yeah. Not not afraid to to express their... Disdain for those in charge. Unhappiness and dissatisfaction. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So that was really fun. And we look forward to more engagement and, um, I don't know, just having community on that platform. Yeah. So farm updates. Yeah. Yeah. We This past week we was a little busy. We're busy this past week. Well, one of the things that we did was we delivered, uh, um, I just referred to it as a starter flock mm-hmm. to some friends of ours as they're getting into the sheep business. It was um, four mature ewes and a ram mm-hmm. that... Um, a couple of four-year-old ewes, a couple of two-year-old ewes, and a registered ram that's going to, I think, start them off really great into the sheep business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was really exciting to put them over there on some really, um, seemed like pretty lush ground. Yeah. They're going to be very happy where they are now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No no real competition for them on the amount of of grazing that they can do. No, right. Yeah, and so we also, our beef chickens, little babies that are in the brooder. They're doing well. Yeah. They've been here for a week already, and we have more inbounds. Yeah, they're in the postal system right now. We should yes. be picking Birds them up. Birds in the postal system, y'all. Yeah. With your letters up. to Grandma. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Right. When I go to the post office to get them, I can hear them way in the back. Chirp, 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 chirp. Yeah. Okay, you have some peepers here. Yeah, we'll be picking them up this week. Uh, 50 50 more uh, chicks. These are layer chicks. Mm -hmm. And um, we got them so that by springtime, when the spring market starts, we'll have more eggs. Yes. Remember, we doubled down. I do remember. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We talked about that. Chicken math. (laughs) Chicken math. Yes. Yeah. If you think you're losing money, just go. Yeah. It's a real thing. Double down. Chicken math. Yes, it is a real thing. It is. And yesterday we had the privilege of taking five pure Berkshire, some of the finest hogs, I think, in certainly this area, uh, to the processor. Yeah. And delivering them. Very excited. Mm hmm. A uh, couple that were sold as holes, and the rest of them will go in our freezers to be sold. Uh, by the cut yeah, and by the pound. So I'm yeah. really excited to see. It's going to be some amazing pork. I'm very, very excited about it. Yeah, for sure. Wait, was one of those ours? No. Okay. Dang, man. Next, maybe the next round. That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> some of the rib jobs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Betty. Yeah. Our, um, we've, we've mentioned previously that we have two, a2A2 Jersey cows that we milk, and uh, one of them is named Happy, one of them is named Betty, and Betty, uh, this past week, she, um, her appetite started going down, and she basically quit producing milk. She would, you know, one day Mm -hmm. she gave about a half gallon, and then the next day she gave less, and the next day she gave less, and then by about the third day, uh, she didn't even want to come into the barn to have her breakfast. and She was not feeling good at all. And yeah. they can lose condition, which is their, you know, their body weight. They can go from looking really plump and healthy to bag of bones, 
Yeah, in if days. you know if you know Jersey cows at all, you know they don't miss a meal. No, they and don't. Betty was a very voracious even Jersey, so yeah. it was it was definitely abnormal for her to just say no to her breakfast meal, yeah. and so. Um, we we came in from milking that morning and called the vet, and the only appointment they had was a Saturday afternoon emergency call, which we said sounds great. Mm-hmm. And so the vet came out on Saturday afternoon. One of the things that he um, just mentioned to us was that as we were talking about how quickly she had lost condition, he said that yeah, they can lose you know upwards of fifty pounds in thirty six hours. So like they yeah. they really lose condition fast. And she had a fever. And so that was one of the things that he said was, you know, she's burning through whatever calories she has really quickly um, and she's not eating. So it, it was leading to um, her not looking really good. Mm-mm. And so she still doesn't you know, but his diagnosis was that she has pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he, he gave her some meds and left us with some meds that we gave her the next day within I don't know, two to three hours she was eating. Yeah. And eating so better. that was, yeah, that was great that she, because before she would just sort of like nibble at, at hay or grass or something. And it looked like, um, Shell mentioned that maybe her, she had a problem with a tooth. Yeah, I mean, like she it, really it just, wasn't like, she, she just didn't like... want to eat. And within a couple of hours of getting some meds, she was, she was back to eating like normal. Yeah. Um, she still doesn't have an appetite like normal. So she's coming. I think her rumen is really out of whack. Yeah, she's coming in for her snacks, but she's not. She's not devouring them like the rest of them. She may need a beer. <laughs> no, might. seriously. I they, yeah. yeah, because they, the yeast in it really yeah. helps activate the rumen again. So um, we've taken her temperature a couple of times since, and her temperature is back to normal, mm-hmm. which uh, tells us that things are definitely uh, doing better. Mm-hmm. And she is eating more, so that's better. And now we just need her to recover her condition. Yeah, we but, probably are done. She's probably done milk. Yeah, she's not. She's currently not producing really anything. Mm-hmm. It was maybe a cup this no, morning. It so it, it, she's she's really shutting down on the milk production side. Which I just want her to be okay. Yeah, we though. just need her healthy. Um, the vet did confirm. Good news though was that Betty and Happy are both pregnant. They are. So that's Yay. that's great. Yeah. Um, we just need to keep her that way. That's right. Due date should be somewhere in March. Mm-hmm. So our plan is to dry them off in the December, January time frame to give them, you know, six to nine weeks of um, being dried off before the, the calves are due. Mm-hmm. Uh, most research I've done says at least six weeks. So as long as we get them dried off. And that makes us not milking. We'll talk about this next week, but that puts us not milking in the winter time because that's a little extra when it's 12 outside and we're out there milking cows. That wasn't really that fun. Yeah. So that's a preview to next week. I know we're going to talk about some A to A to magic. Magic. It is magic. Yes. And that's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Um, So the topic of today we have, Independence on the farm and interdependence in the community. The balance of freedom on the farm and community ties. That's right. It's kind of a big, big title, big topic. Too much to be a title, isn't it? Yeah, it's just topic. Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. That could be a title, right? It could be. Yeah. But yeah, we wanted to 
you know, little more, dial it in little a little more, more, little more than descriptive that. than that. <laughs> Freedom's good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Embodying freedom from farming and such. Yeah. So we, we've talked about last week when we mentioned this topic, I think we may have even used the word individualism. And as we started doing a little bit of research into it, we realized that that's really not what we're doing and not where we're going um, as a, a philosophy. Um, I don't want to get into philosophical conversations. I don't want to get into individualism. No. And so really, um, we, we chose not to go down that path with mm-hmm. individualism, even though we may have mentioned it before. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not going to go there. We're really, uh, because it's not, it's not where we were wanting to go. It's the word that we used, but not what we were that trying to say. That was not the meaning we were trying to, the so message. So as we're trying to dial it in, we really, we really came down to freedom. Yeah. And that's, that's like independence. Um, yeah. And then as, as I really started going down the road with, of independence, like, you know, making some talking points and really um, yeah. uh, trying to hit home on independence, Shelly, not interrupted me, but, but, you know, interjected that while true, that's not telling the real story right. or the whole story. Right. Yeah. Because yes, we are independent, but the, as we are independent with, with one another and to ourselves, sure. It's the interdependence within the community that actually create generates more freedom. So let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah, so, you're going to have to talk us through how we go from independence. The inter- interdependence gives us more freedom. Uh, well, maybe we will. Maybe we'll get there. I think sometimes you just say things. And, no, you know, I, I think I think we will get there. You think so? But I'm just I'm just laying it out. Yeah, let's that, try. That we got to go. Okay, but first let's talk about you're retired from the military. Yes. And you are very accustomed to pretty much being told what to do. Yeah, uh, 25 years, almost, Mm -hmm. uh, just under 25 years, um, I showed up to basic, not basic, officer training school in January of 97. Yep. And almost 25 years later was um, privileged to retire from the military. But what that meant was that for almost 25 years, uh, I was told what to do. Even the times when I was a boss, I certainly had bosses. Uh, yeah. And my bosses had bosses. And, and those so, bosses yeah. bosses. And so it was, um, and in the military, unlike uh, the, the civilian sector, the, the bosses have uh, legal authority to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. So it's not just show up to work on time. It's show up to work on time or you can have legal ramifications right. of not doing so. Right. So there was a, there's a level of, um, uh, 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 you have to do what you're told. Right. You know, it's, it's not just, yeah, I have a boss, mm-hmm. but it's, you must, you have no other choice yeah. but to shave. Yeah. You have no other choice but to cut your hair. You have no other choice but to be able to wrap your belt around your midsection. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like it is from a legal perspective, Mm -hmm. you have to do it. Mm -hmm. And so coming out of that... Of which was a choice. uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Everybody knows what they're getting into when they sign up. We all know. Hey, you signed up for it, man. I did. Volunteered and loved it. And would go back and do it. Had an amazing career. Uh, 
would uh, flying fighters is uh, awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, can't, can't even describe it. Yeah. And would absolutely go back and do it again. In a heartbeat. But, but when that's over, mm-hmm. there's a, uh, a shock to the system, <laughs> right? Um, the, and we've talked about this a little bit in previous podcasts, but you know, the, I'm, I don't want to cut my hair or shave or, uh, or like, anyone. It, he actually warned us, his immediate, fa- immediate family. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Like anybody. I don't even want to tell me what to do, really. So, so nobody tell me what to do. It was a while before that wasn't even a thing anymore. Yep. Like a year, two years. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Just don't tell me what to do. I, I thought that was good communication. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Kept <laughs> <laughs> everybody out of the warpath. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a... Um, when we when we talk freedom and independence, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at least from my perspective, there's a, a definitely something to compare it to, mm-hmm. right? Was that there was a, a, a definite voluntary mm-hmm. lack of freedom um, mm-hmm. in in my not just job but life because you, well, you yeah, that's that that spilled over. I'm, I wasn't immune from it. Right. I lived no. where they told you to go. Right. I lived in the house they gave us. Yep. I had a husband when I had one and didn't when the Air Force had him. I, you know, so if, if, all the way to the kids, like we all lived that same do what you're told. We could go on vacation when it was appropriate and approved and, and, and. That's right. You know, we did make, we did our best to, to take vacations, take leave, do all that, you know, free kind of stuff. But it was within the boundaries yeah. of what you're able to do. Yeah. So we, then we got here. Yeah. And when, when coming out of retirement, we, we went like a step further even than we could have, right? Like we, we could have stayed where we were and went straight into a job, a job, DOD, DOD civilian, mm-hmm. uh, DOD support contractor, mm-hmm. uh, defense industry, you know, I, th- those were definitely options open mm-hmm. um, for me as I was leaving. And um, we together didn't want that either, really. We were ready for actual what what we, our perception at least, what we were thinking of as freedom. Right. We're, we're ready to be independent mm-hmm. and not be dependent on anyone, really, yeah. as, as far as that's concerned. Uh, telling us, telling us what to do, um, where to be, where to go. So now we farm and we tell ourselves what to do. We're motivated by outside forces. Yeah. They're all outside. Yeah. (laughs) Most of them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Those forces are outside. Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously if you know anything about farming, you know that we tell ourselves what to do as long as there's not some emergency with an animal, which requires us like Betty. Yeah. We work for them mostly. We absolutely work for the animals. um, It's just different. The whole thing is different. It's, you know, some of it is um, being your own boss and Mm -hmm. people who have businesses and own their own businesses would understand that from an entrepreneurship perspective, like Mm -hmm. being your own boss is awesome. It's different than, than, um, answering to a, a, a boss or a corporation or a board or whatever you're answering to. Mm -hmm. But then farming, I think provides even an even more, um, independent, 
life or or free life mm-hmm. than um, than even just owning your own business. You know, like if you're in a storefront somewhere, say you own a you own a shop, mm-hmm. well, you you probably have hours and they're posted and you have to be there at those times. And you know, I mean, right. like there's there's definitely some some rigidity mm-hmm. to um, a lot of businesses where farming really, I mean, it, we do have to f- care for the animals. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, like we do with our day what we want to do with our day. Yeah. We fill it. Always. Yeah. It's very full. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to be bored. No. Um, but so freedom wise, tie your farm and your food into the freedom that it creates, even though we're anchored, the freedom that's generated through what we're doing comes from the, well, we're free from grocery store food. We're free from the dairy aisle currently, although we won't be, you know, tw- you know, 365 days yeah. a year, right. but it has alleviated some of that. Yeah. Um, we are free from CAFO meat. Yes. We are free from, uh, well, really. A lot of the veg. I mean. Yeah. With with the garden, we have a lot of the veg. Yeah. Just providing for ourselves, generating a, an independent free mentality from those other food sources. Yeah. And. This happened a couple of months ago. I think for me, I, I was sitting down and and in one of the blogs, I was I was talking about independence, and it led me to dependence, mm. and then to whom are you dependent? Mm. Um, and I, I, searching like through in our life, um, currently at least, we're dependent on Amazon. Yes, um, we're dependent on. UPS or FedEx or the Postal Service or whoever's delivering from Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, we're dependent on Walmart, Walmart. in town to mm-hmm. get the essentials that we need on a day-to-day type basis. The yeah, we can't make right? and produce every right. single thing. We don't make downy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. We don't. We we do our laundry. We need coffee. Beans. And so there, there are. Although we talk about independence, I do that with knowledge that yes we are dependent on some absolutely um white river valley electric co-op yes to light these lights dependent currently yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and i know especially some folks around uh, here they they don't want to be dependent on the electric company and they've gotten themselves set up with awesome solar farms and they're being able to live without being dependent on them yeah and so I, i think it's just a a nod to um, your own inner discussion of to whom am I dependent? Mm-hmm. McDonald's? Nope. Right. But, I, but <laughs> I think, I think some folks are. Yeah. Right. And so just a, a an acknowledgement of who, to whom we are dependent mm-hmm. is, is what I was sort of nodding to mm-hmm. there that while, while we are saying we are independent, I understand that there are definitely dependencies, mm-hmm. but yeah. from an overarching perspective, is where I think we're coming from to say that we love the independence of this lifestyle of the farming lifestyle. Yep. Okay. I like that. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, um, okay. That was, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at my show notes here, trying to follow. You just hit that point. So 
um, on the to whom are you dependent uh, impact and how are we impacted and how do we impact the community through our farm? Yeah. Well, we make quality products. We're trying to make the cleanest, best that we can with the resources that we have, proteins for ourselves, friends, family, and local community. And seeing that meat or eggs or dairy go into their refrigerators and freezers, that's a huge impact. Yeah. I mean, that's the mission. Yeah, it feels really cool too. Yeah, it does. Especially to have the, the feedback that we receive on a frequent basis that it is good. Yeah. You know, and it it's not, well, I'm, I'm back to buy some bacon. <laughs> you know, like that's not the feedback that we get. So no. it's, it, positive reinforcement obviously is a good feedback tool and mm -hmm. um, we appreciate the positive reinforcement and are receiving it, which is, which is really neat. Yeah, it is. Especially Very coming from where like we didn't grow up farming and providing food to folks. So this is, this is all a new thing for us. Yeah. You know, um, we've, we have worked for someone our entire lives and so the, the idea that we're doing it um, and then providing it to someone is is really cool. And scary. But yeah. It is. It's so scary, y'all. So we make all this food and we get it processed or we process it ourselves or we do whatever. And then it goes into people's houses and they eat it and they serve it to their family. And like we like to cook for people and we like to have, you know, get togethers and things like that. But to say, I grew this. And then I got it labeled and everything and I put a price on it and I sold it to you as a good thing. And then to hope they like it. Yeah. You just, it, it's a little, it's risky. Yeah. It, it puts your, it's really putting yourself out there. Yeah. Taking a risk. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I don't think, although I don't think we've sold anything that we didn't try first. <laughs> oh no, we always try it first. <laughs> yeah, we we did all the that whole batch of chickens to make sure they were gonna, you know, yeah, be okay. Be That's great. Yeah, or the pork or beef. You know, when we bring a beef in, cook some beef up and let's make sure that it tastes good. If it's not, we just bought a lot of beef and we're just gonna right. put it in the freezer yep. and we'll eat it and, ourselves. And we'll eat it. Yeah, but we do taste test everything and make sure. Yeah, that everything is up to par that we want it to be yeah to be able to proudly sell it not just sell it yeah and in in offering it we're offering the local community with the opportunity to to have their own freedom from right. industrial kfo right uh, hormone injected you know the just the the standard industrial way of growing and providing meats and proteins and, and such, we're providing that opportunity that they can, they can not have to, to, um, do that. Right. They, they have yeah. an option, they, you know? So the people that we sold sheep to, we were sitting down visiting with them and then we were having a discussion and they asked, when are you going to have bacon again? And we're like, oh, like in a week, we're gonna, we took some pigs and we're going to have bacon in a week. And they're like, good. Cause what? I don't know what that that is with all that watery stuff in the store bacon. The, yeah, it's it was, water. They it's were like, saying I cooked bacon and there and was white water. White water. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And I 
I haven't cooked that store bacon in a while, but yeah. I remember back, I'm like, oh yeah, it does do that. Like white water thing. And I'm like, I don't know. So I had to look it up. Why has my bacon got white water in it? And there was answers because, you know, because <laughs> it's actually a thing. Mr. Google Pants knows things. And because it's an actual thing. And it's because they bulk it, basically inject it, soak it, whatever, with brines and other injectables. And that's what you're paying for. Yeah. Yuck. Right. I don't want boiled bacon. <laughs> Yeah. I want my bacon fried. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's still usable whenever I'm done. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, providing something good. Yeah. Versus bulked up watery bacon. Yeah. Which trying it, to keep it at a price point that people can afford. Yeah. That's another important piece. Yeah. You know, it's a really premium product and we know that. And we know that, it, oh, you know, in certain places you could charge X amount for this. Yep, we know that too. But we want, we think that good food should be normal. How do you normalize a good product? Yeah, it's really hard because it, we may go way deep into this in the future, but there's an expectation that food is cheap. Mm-hmm. And that's an unrealistic expectation. Food is not inherently cheap. No, it's not. It is subsid if it is cheap, it is subsidized somewhere. Yeah, you're paying for it. Some somehow it's either through taxes. Yeah. 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 The government. Anyway, yeah. We can, anyway, that's another yeah, rabbit hole. Let's can, don't go down we can, that uh, way. We can yeah. <laughs> follow that rabbit later. But food food isn't cheap. Right. And no. so to normalize quality food is difficult because of the expectation that food is cheap. Mm -hmm. And so we have a few folks that are willing to give it a try mm -hmm. to say, okay, I, I understand that I can buy this a little bit cheaper somewhere else, yeah. but I'm going to try what you're offering because you say it's quality. And it might be worth it. And it might be worth it. And so um, for the most part, everybody who's been willing to give us feedback has said, yes, yeah, it is it's, worth it. It's actually. worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and local community, the support that we get, what you were just talking about, the feedback, yeah. them showing up every week, coming to get a little more for their freezers, trying a different product, trying one, go, I'm going to try this, and then maybe I'll come back and try that. And they do that, and that fuels us. That support, physically, mentally, emotionally, I didn't want to go to the farmer's market last week. <laughs> like, I didn't want to go... I'm like, you know, it's hooting and hollering down in Gainesville. There's things going on everywhere else. It's going to be a slow market. I'm telling you, let's just stay home. Let's take one week off. Now, y'all, the market's going to end at the end of October, and then we can stay home all the Saturdays until April. But I just don't want to go. <laughs> and he was like, people are expecting us to be there. That's right. Like, we have to go. Yeah. So we went. And it, there was nobody <laughs> for like an hour and a half. And I'm just like, okay, here, drink my coffee. <laughs> we'll chat, <laughs> figure out the problems of our life. And lo and behold, though, 9, 30, 10 o'clock rolls around, and that's when the floodgates kind of open up. And we had a great market day, and the people that he knew would be expecting <laughs> us to be there, they were there, and that would have been really disappointing for them. And so that keeps us going. Yeah. Their expectation of us and wanting what we have keeps us showing up. 
and it's hugely encouraging. Yeah, it is. Because we get we get tired. Yeah. But and it's even encouraging. You've been throwing out to folks, hey, the, we know that the market is going to end soon. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we have to stop providing you with quality products. Yeah. We could just deliver it to you. You know, we could set up a meet date, uh, a meet time on a on a standard day, Saturday mornings, whatever. And all of our regular customers that you mentioned that to all said, that's a great idea. That's a great I'm idea. very interested. Here's my contact information. Right. Yeah. As soon as you that's get true. your information, you know, as soon as you get your poop in a group about what you want to do, mm-hmm. uh, let me know because I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. And mm-hmm. again, that's just that positive feedback, yeah. that positive reinforcement that tells us, okay, okay. Yeah. Doing, doing okay. Doing, doing, doing all right. Doing yeah. all right. Yeah. And so, in the case people don't know, we are a farm-to-fork operation. We get the animals, we raise the animals, we breed the animals, we make the animals, and then we take that animal all the way through, through processing. We get that thing into the freezer, and then we take it from there, and we sell it to people so they can put it in their freezer and get it onto their dinner table. So very, very few middlemen, like us and our meat processor. Yeah. That's right. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Those are that's our team. Except for poultry and then it's just us. Oh yeah, poultry's just us. We get the little baby chicks. So the people who made the chicks. Yep. We get that and then from that little baby chicken all the way to processed and in the freezer. That's us. Yeah. So it can't get any more local. That's right. And getting that onto people's dinner tables in some kind of what feels like normal. Yeah, it's really cool. It is cool. Yeah, and have people stop by and say, I need a birthday meal for my husband. Oh, yeah, that's uh, fun. I'm, I this really, is going to be our anniversary meal tonight. Yeah, this is our anniversary meal, or yeah. I really want to throw some brats on the grill for supper. You know, it's yeah. just, it's really, really neat. It's it really is. Cool. Yeah, it's very cool yeah. to, to, to be in people's lives at their dinner. Yeah. You know, you're a part of that. Yeah, which is neat. That is neat. It, our, our, our culture has a lot wrapped up in uh, meals and dinner time and being together, you know? Yeah. I, I know society is going away from that in the family, but you still have dinner meetings and, right. you know, I mean, like there's, there's yeah. definitely something there Yeah. to, um, to coming together around food. commune mm-hmm. around food. Yes. Yeah. Um, so economically it kind of take that, you know, we're getting some income through that. And then us uh, helping our local grow our local economy through supporting local businesses, such yeah. as such as our feed mill. Oh yeah, for example, mm-hmm. um, we we buy I don't know a lot. It, it's got we I, I would say we probably average four tons a month of Is it really feed. Feed uh, math. <laughs> yeah, somewhere close. It's between three and four tons a month. Yeah, it's a lot. So you multiply that out, you're looking, you know, 35, 40 at least tons of feed a year. Hmm. So, I mean, I know it, for us, it feels like we're a, we're a small farm operation. You know, we're, we're raising mm-hmm. 10 pigs. But um, impact on the community for another small business, like our local feed mill yeah. that we buy our GMO-free feed from, mm-hmm. another small business... Us being able to support them is helpful, yeah. you know. Yeah, provide helping provide more local jobs, keeping the 
keeping the money in house. Yeah. In this community. Yeah. Keeping the revenue here. Yeah. Rather and, than Purina. Yeah, exactly. They don't need and, any more of our dollars. Just like the, you know, the people that buy from us at the farmers market, the money is staying here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's going into our account, which then goes into Beaver Creek. Creek's. Well, that's account. how economics works. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we but like, just pass but the dollars is, around. It is staying local. And but then keep it local. And then Bryson buys local grains, as you've already said. Yeah. So the the dollar is making its way around this community mm -hmm. and not getting shipped immediately to a corporate headquarters. Somewhere. And that's what's going to be key, I think, as we talk about e economics in the probably in the future. And as the economics of the country kind of get more and more strained, keeping our dollars local and trying to keep them out of the corporate headquarters, which supports imports from other places, if we can keep it local, keep it right here and keep our dollars circulating here, we get to keep them. Yeah. Because once they exit, we all know they're gone. Yeah. So anyway, starting off on that tangent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so we're also building a relationship with our local health food store yes. owners. And potentially going to be able to put some of our lamb. That's why we have so many lamb out there. So we may be able to put some in their storefront. Um, that'd be kind of that'd be good. Yeah, we're trying. But, you know, yeah, we're we'll see. In in talks at least. So with having a community and you know around our local community around this farm, um, another one of the things that it does for us is we have less reliance on the very, very fragile supply chain. Yeah. So <laughs> was it Rebecca said? Yeah. Re Rebecca, our oldest daughter works for Walmart and they get two semi trucks a day. And, um, it, uh, at least in her, her mind within about two days, the shelves would be empty. If they weren't restocked yeah. as quickly as they are stocked. 48 as, hours. Yeah, 48 hours. So especially on the high use items or high demand items. So, um, and we've, we've all seen this in 2020. The, as the supply chain started getting strained, as, as trucks weren't driving, yeah, um, the shelves quickly emptied. And um, folks were standing in front of empty shelves. Mm -hmm. And um, it's... Uh, it's the the folks that experienced it, I know some some people at least it was scary. Yeah, to to know that I am dependent on this store for the food that's going to keep me alive, and the shelf is empty. Yeah, another thing local community can sometimes provide is, you know, I have a skill, or you have a skill, or an item, and. In case a lot of y'all didn't know, bartering is still very alive and well yeah. in at least this part of the country. Um, hey, I've got a thing. If I come and help you with your project, could I borrow your whatever? Whatever. Yeah. 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 And so that ha that's a big bonus. Yeah. Yep, it sure is. And we talked about the dollar staying in the local economy already. Oh, yeah. So we can just move on past that. Yeah. Um, collaborating with other local farmers. 
Yeah, it's been a big deal for us. Yeah, one of the newbies. one of the best probably is Ozarks Heritage Farm. Mm. Um, they've become friends and mentors. That's where we get our um, premium pure Berkshire piglets, mm-hmm. and um, they're they're an amazing asset and yeah. are um, surprisingly generous with their knowledge. Yeah, um, it. It might seem, based on the the way people think about businesses, um, that we would be in competition with each other, and really we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're new. They've been doing this longer than than we have, and they've offered everything they possibly can to us to help us get going in this, in this, especially the pork, mm-hmm. and as well as the pastured poultry because. He did pastured poultry for years, and mm-hmm. so they've offered us all kinds of of assistance and knowledge and just advice, advice. farmers market advice, yeah, um, suggestions. Re- really cool, not just to help us get going, but to help us and cheer for us and want us to succeed. Yeah, and at, at when um, they they do not do GMO free uh, on their farm, and so when they have folks that want that. They send them our way. Yeah, they had folks that asked them about guardian dogs. They send them our way. So, right. like, it's it's really neat, and I I think this is leading us to what you were talking about the interdependence mm. and how that could lead to more independence, freedom, I freedom. Think. Yeah, the interdependence in local community, bringing you, providing you more freedom from the big, the big out there. Yeah. If I, if I, if I'm, if I have other options, I don't have to seek out a large corporation to solve the problem. Yeah. Maybe. Cool. Freeing you. Yeah. From the big guys. Yeah. And another one is the uh, family from which we bought our beef herd. Mm. And, um, a portion at least of our sheep flock mm-hmm. and they have been amazingly generous with their time and uh, oh, yeah. mentorship. And we, uh, simple questions like, Hey, how much is hay worth? You know, I mean like, um, just the, those, those things that, that may seem silly, but they haven't treated us that way. They've, they've been very generous. And, and again, oh, by the way, us to be successful. the answer was, Hey, is worth whatever you paid for. Whatever you paid for. Yeah. Whenever you're, whenever you're feeding it like we feed it, whenever you're unrolling it like we unroll it and yeah. using it, yeah, whatever you pay for it to help regenerate your pastures. Sure. Yeah, um, the our neighbors, the symbiotic relationship that we have around here, really cool of each of all of us. Like, look, if I have a single use item, let's just say a post pounder that attaches to your PTO and your tractor or whatever. Um, I have that. The neighbor right next to me doesn't need to own that too and go spend their capital on another post pounder. I have a post pounder. Yeah. Use this one. Yeah. You go buy something else yeah. and maybe I could use it. Yeah. And then we all have more tools at our yeah. fingertips to and be able to use. We've been offered sawmills, post pounders, uh, uh, post augers, 
trailers, welders, cutting torches, like yeah, you name just it. so many different things it, we, we've been offered. And again, that, that interdependence mm-hmm. is allowing us independence because yes. we don't have to spend our capital buying all of those things. Exactly. You know, we, okay, we might need to weld a gate post. But then we might not use a welder again for yeah, a year. I don't need a $3,000 welder for one gate post. Yeah. Right. Same same thing with a post pounder. We may need to pound in, you know, even a whole day's worth of posts. Mm-hmm. But then we probably wouldn't use it again for two years. Yeah. And so that, that um, interdependence. And it goes both ways. Yeah. Right. That interdependence is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've we've loaned our trailer, we've loaned our stuff. We've we have a wood chipper, you know, like yeah. and just that that idea that as a community you are definitely stronger and each individual then in that community has the independence that they can do other things and not have to rely on themselves to do every or buy every little thing. Mm-hmm. Which I think is cool. It is very. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, we, we had uh, storms come in and oh, yeah. blew down a, a bunch of trees, but two of them in particular, one was the biggest tree on the farm and it was big. And it went... It was huge. <laughs> it went through two of our fences. Yes, it did. And then there was another quite large tree that went through one of our fences. Another tree was it blocking the driveway to the RV. like, And we had... Friends, community friends that said, hey, we're showing up to help mm-hmm. get rid of these trees to get them out of your way so you can do your business. What day works best for you? And we we picked a day and they showed up and, man, was that amazing. And then it, we didn't quite finish up. And so they said, and we're coming back next weekend too. Yeah. And so that that kind of support is is really cool. Yeah. Because it sounds like it's just a tree, but it's a huge tree, huge tree. And you know how to cut a tree down, do a chainsaw. Two people doing all of that would have been really, really hard. Yeah. Um, but our friend, he's like, he, he was, he's from Wisconsin. And this was not his first tree, y'all. He cut it up more as a kid growing up than I did in South Florida. Uh, yeah, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And so with his with his knowledge and his know-how and willingness, we were able to get a job done in an afternoon that would have taken us days. Yeah. And risk yeah, because right. it was so big. Yeah. And he knew exactly where to cut it and what to do and all that and it it the interdependence again bringing freedom yep. because we needed that lane. Yeah. To be able to move the cows from where they were to the next to the next place. And we weren't using that lane until that tree was moved. Mm-hmm. So that freed up that part of the farm for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so future vision going forward, um, as far as build, continuing to build community and the interdependence, uh, what, yeah, do you think, where, uh, what do you see? Where are we headed? Well, a lot of these are your ideas and I, I think they're great ones, but you know, we do we do farm tours on a fairly regular basis. I would say we have folks come out and visit. I don't know. We're probably averaging once a month or so, oh, maybe yeah. a, maybe a little more than that. Um, and we love that. And yeah, we do. People, I think, um, come away 
with a with a different kind of respect for the whole operation for mm-hmm. what we're doing and how how big it is yeah. you know how how many different things it is and um the one of the one of the most commonly heard comments is wow you guys have worked really fast mm. you have done a lot in a little amount of time yeah and um th- there's just a realization that happens when you see it mm-hmm. that that wow it this you is did this in two years yeah, yeah this is this is a pretty big deal mm-hmm. a pretty big operation and so i i think with that just to say that the farm tours are helpful they're beneficial to so that people can understand actually what it is that we're doing mm-hmm. and then um for for your idea is maybe we'll do some kind of um an appreciation dinner a couple of times yeah a year or i want to do a farm to table um yeah have every have our i don't know some of our really longer time customers or even new ones for sure and have have a meal uh where it's come from here and we cook it and host them yeah at our at our house at our farm whatever how, however that turns out um that can always be a really fun time right yeah that, that our appreciation really to them yeah and summer camps maybe we'll see i know right well Educating the young people in what we're doing locally yeah. is education is vital to to making anything like this normalized. Yeah, you're right. If the only thing they know is chicken nuggets, then that's what they're going to do. Yeah, they're going to do chicken nuggets. Yep. But bringing bringing the young kids, and I'm I don't mean like seven year olds. I mean, how about a young teen? Yeah. I'm about a 12, 13, 14-year-old. Let's go do some farming. Let's go see where, you know, our groceries really come from. Yeah. And maybe doing some kind of farm days like that in the future. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It's just an idea. (laughs) Nobody hold me to it. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't you said me. <laughs> right, and we've we've talked about internship programs even, and and mm-hmm. folks have recommended it to us, and we've looked into it, and um, maybe it maybe um, it, the, an internship is a long term commitment, mm-hmm. and I think often takes at least at the beginning takes more effort than it relieves, yeah. and so. Right now, for us, that would be a strain mm-hmm. to take on an actual intern. Yeah. So um, while a good idea, and we're not saying no, we, we've said probably not right now, but maybe in the future. Yeah, maybe. That's it. Just maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, so continuing to encourage community involvement. Um, getting ourselves out there, getting them here, doing the back and forth um, is going to continue to grow. Yeah. Um, the, the dependence, the independence and the interdependence um, away from the government subsidized industrial food sources. Okay, folks. <laughs> um, there's, so in case you didn't know, there is a website out there called eatwild.com and eat wild is a list of, I'm guessing on hundreds, at least hundreds. Yeah, it's at least hundreds of listed local farms 
or farms that you can find in your local area, hopefully providing some of the types of things that we grow. There are standards that they have That's right. in order to be able to even post your stuff on there. We're on there. Um, but check that website out and see if there might be a local farmer in your area doing something similar to what we're doing so that you can support them and y'all can get the same kind of symbiotic relationship going so that whenever the supply chain goes down again, you have a local farmer, a place to get your food, even if the grocery stores are empty, because I can tell you right now, if the grocery stores went empty tomorrow, our customers that we have, we will take care of them first. And I know that there's going to be a shortage of food, but I only have a, a, a minimum, a, a finite amount. And so my customers, our friends, our family, and the customers that we consider our families, we're going to take care of those guys. So go find yourself, know your farmer, go find yourself a farmer in your local area that you can get your food from now so that if the supply chain collapses on you, you have a source for food. And I, I, I could just get right up on a stump about that. Yeah. <laughs> eWild has a great website. They, do. they have a map function. So you don't like you can click on your state and start looking around your area. And it was um, I, maybe it shouldn't have been, but it was surprising to me how many farms they have on their website. Yeah, like it's there's, a lot. there's a lot of farms. And so yeah. I, I, I would venture to say you will most likely find a farm that's that's somewhere close you, enough that it's listed on eat wild something. which means that they're doing things at least similarly to what to yeah. the way we do things yeah so really cool website it is okay and we'll put that in the show notes yes we'll put that in the show notes it's our <laughs> new thing <laughs> gotta put these things in the show notes yes what you got topic of the day yeah okay so we're closed on that topic uh -huh. of the day it was such a resounding hit last week <laughs> When we talked about the military recruiting crisis that mm -hmm. I couldn't, I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to talk about the military again. Oh, okay. Okay? Yeah. So, are you ready? I am. The GAO released a report. What's the GAO? The Government Accountability Office, or, yeah, I think that's what it stands for. Okay. Um, they re released a report September 2023 on military barracks. Okay. And their headline is... Poor living conditions undermine quality of life and readiness. Uh, yeah. Why the DOD or why the GAO did this study? DOD houses hundreds of thousands of service members in military barracks. Reports of poor conditions have raised questions about DOD's management of barracks. What GAO found? GAO found weaknesses in the Department of Defense's efforts to maintain and improve their conditions. For example, DOD does not reliably assess conditions, and some barracks are substandard. DOD assessments of conditions are unreliable. GAO observed barracks that pose potentially serious health and safety risks, such as broken windows and inoperable fire systems, and that do not meet minimum DOD standards for privacy and configuration. Thousands of service members live in barracks below standards, according to officials. DOD does not have complete funding information to make informed decisions. For example, DOD requested about $15 billion for overall facility sustainment for fiscal year 24, 
but could not identify how much of this total would be spent toward barracks. On that note, <laughs> I did a little bit of research, and uh, they did in 24 uh, request $15 billion. It's called Facility Sustainment Restoration and Management, FSRM, is the category uh, in which that request happened. They requested $15 billion for 24. However, as of 2020, so four years ago, there was a backlog of $137 billion that hadn't been done already. So they requested they can cover just over 10% of their backlog with this year's request. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, DOD conducts insufficient oversight. They do not track information on the condition of barracks or facilitate collaboration on initiatives to improve them. So by developing or clarifying guidance related to these weaknesses, DOD could better prioritize investments in barracks to improve living conditions for service members and help ensure that barracks housing programs across military services are consistently implemented and support quality of life and readiness. So that's a little excerpt from their highlight page. Uh, full report and highlight page will be in the show notes. So the people that we're trying to get to recruit. Are you saying that living in substandard conditions for your first assignment might impact whether or not I take a job as well? Yeah, it might. You think the word gets out that once you're in, you go through your basic training or your, well, your basic training. Yeah. In officer training school, I showed up my first night in the military. Mm -hmm. I, I was in a condemned barracks. Yeah. And um, they moved us out of the condemned barracks about halfway through. Well, if I remember right, the house we moved into, the glorious house that we moved into in South Korea on, on an army base. It was condemned before we moved into it. U.S. Army Garrison Yongsan. It sure was. Uh, now that base is now... Housing was built in the 1950s. Closed. Uh, 53, I believe. And yeah, all that, that was from 1953. Yep. And the, our particular townhouse was condemned before they uncondemned it so that we could move in. This, this is true. Yes. And we did have sewage that backed up into the kitchen. That's why floor. it was condemned. That's right. To begin with. Well, and and we did have that happen. They painted over the mold on the walls. Oh, that's right. So that took care of that, the mold problem. Um, and the, but the, they did not take care of the sewage that backed up into the kitchen floor. I'm, I'm kidding about the paint taking care of the mold. But yeah, uh, that, obviously. That, is, that, was, that was the solution. <laughs> that was um, some of the billions they used. <laughs> No, yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, can of paint. Yeah, so um, okay, it, it is a, a real concern, and it's something that yeah. I know that uh, we have experienced mm -hmm. uh, in our uh, military career, also. And um, it, like, I, it's hard. I get it uh, when when you have a limited amount of money, and you have to decide whether you're going to build the facilities that. Um, operate your new weapons program, whatever that happens to be. It, we're building and fielding a new nuclear missile, say. And but that's you, you not have in to, facilities. You, you have to build facilities to oh. command and control okay, that. Okay, but they also build these like to, mega gyms in places too. There, there have been mega gyms built in places. Yes, while we were in South Korea. That, I mean that that 
there um, was a mega gym built. It seems yeah. like you would rather want your housing better than your mega gym. Yeah, it, it, a lot of it has to do with what color of money is, what kind of money it is that Congress approves. And there's all kinds of, you know, terribly boring rules and regulations about how the how the money can be spent. But there are different pots, and that's why I made the point that this, you know, the $15 billion was FSRM, Facility Sustainment Restoration and Modernization. So it's a facility that's already been built. And so the amount of money that you can use then to sustain that is that pot of money. And, and they're just not using it? They are using it. There are so many that are in substandard condition that, like, like I, I mentioned, they're barely... 10% of the backlog of the facility sustainment, restoration, and modernization that needs to be done. But if you can't fix it, give them somewhere else to live. You can't afford that either, right? So, like, it's a limited supply of money. And it's, it's, I understand that there are choices that have to be made with that money, but, and ultimately, Congress decides where the money is going to be used. Mm -hmm. But, for example, if you start to exceed 75% of the um, cost of making a new building to restore the building, it's a whole different set of approvals to even start restoring the building. And then in order to build a new building, that's a different kind of money. And years of approval processes and you know, red design, tape bureaucracy. And red tape bureaucracy, years worth mm. in order to build a new building. And so it's just, it's a, it's definitely a difficult problem. Um, not, not an excuse, just the reality, it is a difficult problem with the way our laws are set up on what money can be spent for what and how many years you have to spend it and what approval is needed in order to spend it. Like some of the facility restoration stuff requires Secretary of the Services approval. And having worked in the Pentagon and try, I mean, even being there trying to get something in front of the Secretary is crazy difficult. And so the idea that your facility restoration management project in Podunk Base, wherever, is going to make it all the way through the staff to the in front of the secretary. is is It's difficult. Um, so the the red tape is definitely, I think, a uh, part of the issue. So the <laughs> soldiers, airmen, sailors, uh, all all the enlisted troops that are um, out there. They have a choice no. as to where they want to live. They because don't. No. So uh, e each service is a little bit different. But if you are what they call, what the regulations call unaccompanied, meaning that you're not married, then um, you, you must live in unaccompanied barracks. Married or with kids. Right. If you've got kids, you're accompanied. Yeah. Okay. So... You, you live in the barracks, in the dorms, in mm -hmm. unaccompanied housing, whatever they happen to call it at the mm -hmm. time. And those are not privatized. So a lot of the, what was, I think I was reading in 1996, I believe, is when they really started, uh, or when they passed the laws from Congress to start privatizing um, the military family housing. Mm -hmm. And so that side of housing is largely privatized at this point. But the barracks are not. The barracks are service responsibility. So that's why this one steps outside of housing writ large. And this is your, your, your new... The biggest factor is 
your new enlisted folks that are forced to live in the barracks. And the Air Force is one of the more lax on the requirements to live in the barracks. And it's an E1 through E3, and then an E4 in some places, depending on how long that you've been in the service. So um, some of the other services, like I believe the Army was E1 through E5. Yeah, sergeant living in the... If you're overseas, I think it bumps up even to E6. Wow. Wow. So people go to really um, very far, far lengths to avoid living in the dorms. I do know that it happened uh, um, at least occasionally while we were stationed at uh, RAF Lake and Heath, mm-hmm. that there were definitely, definitely folks that were getting married as a business deal, convenience or out of a business deal to get out of the dorms. So they yeah, were not, crazy. they were not like, committed to each other in a relationship perspective, but they did get married to get out of the dorms. Now, I'm sure that's against the UCMJ and all all of the things that we've mentioned already. But but it it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. So there are definitely um, folks have come up with ways to get around it because sometimes, at least, Merrick's life is substandard. And the GAO, I mean, some of the pictures, uh, of course, yeah. they find the terrible things. And, well, there you shouldn't know, be any terrible things, quite frankly. <laughs> um, you know, large bathroom stalls with waste covering uh. the floor and um, walls covered with mold. And, you know, so they, they were able to to um, find quite a bit of So of one of the more concerning things that you said was that they are not tracking their funding. That, yeah, the GAO said that. That one... Um, That's a little surprising for me. Like, so, they're not they're not yeah, tracking their funding. Uh, it was a track... does not a, have complete funding information to make informed decisions. So they could not identify how much of the $15 billion they requested would be spent toward barracks. So um, it, and a, a lot of that... Look, I've, I've been a part of these types of studies before, and a lot of times it goes to some uh, lower-ranking member of the staff that treats it without a whole lot of concern mm-hmm. and answers the question like, I don't know, and sends it back. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not bothering my general about this particular study. Well, now. And so it ends up getting <laughs> published then as, we don't know. I'm not saying that's the case, no. but I am saying that I have seen that type of thing happen. So it, it really depends on how high up this went. And it doesn't surprise me a whole lot to know that, that um, they've requested $15 billion. There's a $137 billion backlog. Mm-hmm. For FSRM, mm-hmm. how how much of that fifteen billion are you going to use to restoring your barracks? Right. I don't know. That's one tenth of the backlog. Yeah. You know, like we haven't even touched what we're doing this year. But do something. Not saying that they're not doing something. It's just saying they weren't able to answer before fiscal year twenty four even how much of it would be used. Okay, so this is kind of seems like it would have a really broad impact on the whole. System, the whole recruiting problem, and that's to do something. Yeah. Look, we're making these improvements. Look, yeah. we're fixing our stuff. Yeah, and, and I think there has, I think there has been some of that. If you start doing some research, you'll see that um, different ones, different services have, you know, this many million dollars in fiscal year whatever spent towards 
you know, barracks restoration and such. So like there is some of that going on. I think the GAO's point is it's not enough. We have soldiers, we have folks, enlisted folks that are forced to live in conditions that are substandard to DOD's own standards, right? Like Yeah, they set their own, they set the standards. Yeah. Um, and so the, the fact that, mm. as I talked about before, when you're told to do something in the military, there's legal ramifications to not doing so, right? Mm -hmm. So like they're, they must live in these places and the places provided that they must live in are in some cases substandard. Yeah. And the GAO is saying we, that shouldn't be the case. You DOD should fix it or at least be able to <laughs> track the money that you're spending in order to fix it. So where does this go? They just start, they start keep monitoring the situation. Yeah. There were 31 recommendations from the GAO. The, mm -hmm. the DOD accepted 23 of the recommendations. The others, they partially accepted. Mm. GAO replied that they believe they should have accepted all 31. Well, yeah, they, they wouldn't have made it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it'll, it'll be something to look at. It'll be something yeah. to track. It's obviously important, especially, I mean, these 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 guys Big and girls. gals, yeah. they, they really do need our support, and yeah. they really are living in substandard conditions. So this would be one that if you... If you want to keep them. Yeah, but I'm just saying for for listeners out there, um, if if you want to help on this one, mm -hmm. your congressman, your senator, they're the ones that approve the money. That's and true. All they have to do is write a little note in the appropriations or authorization bill that says this will be spent on barracks restoration. Especially, I mean, they could write it into on this barracks. Well, so, yeah, there are a lot of them will will do that. They will take very good care because it's very important to them. The basis within their, their States, their right. home, their home constituents, they, they try to take care of those local areas. Yeah, right? And the GAO, they only looked at 10 installations. <laughs> well, I can tell you some, they probably didn't look at. <laughs> I, I, they didn't look at any of the ones we've been stationed. No. At. So, um, they, they looked at 10. Um, they looked at some that we've been to, but never stationed at. They yeah. looked at they looked at ten bases. Anyway, anyway you can anyway. you can talk to your congressman, write him a Please letter, do. write him an email, give yeah. him a phone call, and let him know that this is important to you because um, the folks that are subjected to these substandard living conditions are important to you. And so, if it's important to the congressman, having dealt very much with the um, congressmen and the staffers that are writing the bills and the authorizations and appropriations bills, I, I can tell you that they can make a change. They absolutely can. It's, it is not difficult at all to, to write in a little thing. Mm -hmm. Happens all the time. Make it happen. Yeah. All right. All right, cool. Well, uh, next week, what are we at? Episode 10, we are going to dive into our A2A2 Jersey milk cows. Yeah. And the magic. Magic of A2A2. Why do we care? Why do we raw keep saying A2A2? <laughs> Who cares about raw milk? Mm. Who cares about what we even, didn't? What even is A2A2? And why would you say that it's magic? We so didn't. We're gonna we're gonna look at a, a lot of these things and um, hopefully reveal some some cool information uh, about what we consider the magic of raw A2A2. Yeah, milk definitely. 
Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening again. Um, please continue to share your thoughts, your comments um, with us, and I'll be sure to make sure he engages back <laughs> with you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hey, did you comment? <laughs> did you comment back to that dude? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, as you guys are out there um, going about your lives, the just remember, you know, look for your local farmers, become a part of your local community in that way. And as always, thanks for listening. And until next week, bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.